0: The Verso Podcast, the home of radical thinking.
1: Hello and welcome to the Verso Podcast. I'm Eleanor Penny. Our regular show is on summer break right now, but in the meantime, we have some bonus content to bring you. So, on with the show. How can the left solve the climate crisis? As I'm speaking, the earth is quite literally on fire. Blazes are raging across southern Europe... Hawaii, to name just a couple of places, unlivable temperatures are spiking across the Middle East, South America, the Indian subcontinent, and every year, climate predictions seem to be revised in favor of ever more imminent disaster in our Earth's life support systems. But even now, when the reality of the climate crisis could hardly be any clearer, many of the world's major powers just aren't taking serious action. Meanwhile, fossil fuel companies are seeing eye-wateringly high profits. So, we are left with one huge, world-changing question. What is to be done? In this episode, Benjamin Kunkel and Lola Seaton delve into debates on how to decarbonize the world economy and build a brighter future. Benjamin Kunkel is the author of the novel Indecision and a founding editor of N Plus One magazine. He's written for The New Yorker, Descent, The New York Review of Books, The London Review of Books, and more. Lola Seaton is a contributing writer at The New Statesman, whose work has appeared in The New York Review of Books, The London Review of Books, Point Magazine, and beyond, and they are both editors at The New Left Review. Together, they edited the book Who Will Build the Ark? Debates on Climate Strategy from The New Left Review, and it's recently been published by Verso Books. They sat down to talk about eco-austerity, deadening climate diplomacy, and what it would take to build sustainable socialism.
2: It might be that like the easiest way to summarize the contents of the book is just to talk about how the thing was assembled or something rather, you know, as if you're talking about building a sandwich or or something, you know, you, you first, you know, put the lower, the bottom slice of bread or something. In a way, the bottom slice of bread here is Mike Davis's great essay from which we took the title of the whole collection, Who Will Build the Ark? in which uh, Davis uh, sort of stages as a debate his kind of um, with himself um his uh you know pessimism about whether the uh, obvious problem of uh, this kind of global environmental crisis can be solved um, at all with uh, you know the social forces that are on the horizon um at- And whether, in fact, it provides the opportunity, or whether, in fact, it provides the opportunity for a kind of revolutionary reconstitution of of society. Um, And then we we get Herman Daly saying, well, basically, whatever we do, we need the society or the the economy not to exist beyond certain um, biophysical parameters. Then we immediately have... Uh, Robert Pollan querying that and saying, in fact, we want to retain growth, um, but uh, it should be decarbonized as much as possible. We have uh, Shar Chandra Lele coming in and saying both of these criterion, degrowth and growth, um, ignore the fundamental criterion of people's well being. And then um, as the book proceeds, we have a number of more sort of topical interventions about. Um, where the financing would come from from a green in a green transition, Cedric Duran talks about that. Alyssa Battistoni talks about this very disappointing um, conference of the party uh, meeting in two, uh, the twenty sixth one, whichever year that was, one of these recent years. Um, and then, I, well, I shouldn't say it's it, it isn't just theory. And then like topical stuff, I suppose, though, because there are these really important feminist uh, interventions from Nancy Fraser and um, uh, Mary Malore about like. Um, the kind of background re- reproductive conditions of capital, as uh, Nancy Fraser would put it more or less paraphrasing, um, which uh, seem to be being undermined very rapidly, not just the ecological ones but the the issues of sort of social reproduction, a certain sort of uh, standard of human life that's necessary to even to send wage laborers out there um, to uh, you know do their socially necessary labor on a, on a daily basis, and then um, there's, you know, a, a, I mean, the Mary Malore article is c- difficult to, to summarize because it's complex, but it's, it's, it's a kind of a feminist argument for the socialization of finance uh, to a great extent, so that it can promote values other than capital uh, accumulation. Um, and in a way, partakes of kind of old-fashioned, like, it's an old sort of socialist maneuver to say is there might there be a way in which uh, capitalism has furnished the conditions for its transcendence um, in this case not through socializing the labor process but through um, this enormous uh, financial power that we see wielded against us on a daily basis but the you know might that be wielded on our own behalf um, so I think that suggests something of the the, the Diversity of positions, all with something like the same goal in mind that characterizes uh, the book.
0: So, I think for me, what was like amazing about working on this book, but also now getting to read it, is that the deep intellectual issues and philosophical issues of like how we approach climate change on the left are like raised throughout in really interesting ways. Mm -hmm. The degree to which sacrifice is something we should be asking of ordinary people. You know, one way of describing the difference between some of the degrowth, the degrowth agendas in this book would be to, they're they're asking a lot of them for changes in lifestyle. You know, like we should, yeah, consume like six times less energy than we do. Um, we should, yeah, stop eating meat, stop flying. The
2: question about sort of degrowth versus green growth. Um, you know, has a lot to do with what degree of sacrifice and sort of what is that, you know, what is the nature of any sacrifice that would be exacted from the, the, the population? Uh, and perhaps, you know, arguably, um, even from the point of view of some degrowthers, none at all. You know, we're actually promising you a much happier life. Um, um, and we can, you know, bracket for now whether we find that case persuasive. But the biggest debate, uh, as you're alluding to in the book, may have to do with people... Starting with um, Herman Daly, who's like, you know, the late Herman Daly, who um, is a kind of pioneer of ecological economics, from uh, whose most important work was published in 1977, seems to me, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, Steady State Economics, which proposed that not in GDP terms, he wants to sort of set that aside, but in terms of what he calls biophysical throughput, you should have a non-growing economy past a certain point in fact you might get to a point where you want you felt that the ideal size in biophysical terms of the economy was smaller than it is now hence degrowth Um, but he at least wanted to insist that um, the economy is not merely a matter of numbers but is also It is a a kind of phenomenon of natural history, even if it's a phenomenon very much um, controlled by human history. But it it has the features of, you know, the natural world in the sense that it is of a certain size and it has a certain metabolism with other living things and with the environment um, generally. It is urgent that we... um, decarbonize growth and decouple as the literature often says decouple economic growth from the growth of fossil fuel inputs Um, but that there's certainly no immediate need and maybe no ultimate need either um, to uh, set aside growth which on the whole has been a good thing Um, so i think this uh this debate uh really this is like one of the bright red threads that runs through the whole volume
0: it was a kind of a secondary um Quite interesting question. I mean, I found interesting um, question about the relationship between growth and capitalism. Is a stagnant capitalism, in a sense, an oxymoron? I mean, we mm-hmm. have seen quite a stagnant capitalism. But will a society that doesn't grow still be capitalist? That was a kind of an interesting question. Um, um, going to the debate. But yeah, then I guess the kind of pressing question for strategy in a sense, for example, Bob Poland would say, in an economy that's growing, then you have like more resources basically for decarbonisation. So like you can invest more, there are like, um, it's it kind of speeds up the process at which kind of um, clean energy can replace fossil fuel. But um, whereas the degrowthers, like, um, there's a piece by Mark Burton and Peter Somerville, and they would say that um, if growth is growing like even if growth is helping decarbonize in a sense it's also at the moment extremely carbon intensive so the more we grow the more we consume the more economic activity there is the more carbon we use then like the higher the cl- the higher the hill is we have to climb kind of thing
2: the news gets worse and worse as these sort of debates proceed mm-hmm. and we find ourselves in talking about these things living in a kind of tournament of accelerating like deadlines. And I mean, you probably were reading in the paper the other day, as as I was, that now it seems like we may have our, our first um, Arctic ice-free summer, not in 2050 or so, but in 2030. That is to say seven years down the line. Oh, something that I think would have shocked people, including climate scientists, a few years ago. So we, we find that these deadlines are both... Um, quite urgent, but also quite hypothetical. It's a bit like being a writer, right? You know, whatever you hear is the deadline <laughs> isn't the real deadline, but you know that that doesn't mean that deadlines don't exist.
0: <laughs> degrowth is, I comes in for like quite a lot of criticism in the book, I suppose. Poland, one of the things he says about degrowth is like, if you just, you know, shrunk economies, like that would just be like tumbling living standards and recession, like the only kind of gro- degrowth we see is like, s- causes severe social pain, basically. And, um, and so he thinks it's kind of like a political non-starter to be advocating that. But I also think that one one great thing that the degrowth um, arguments in the book, um, they raise the question both of like what well-being is um, and I guess another kind of important theme in the book is like growth becomes a bit of a euphemism for like for for, like rising living standards and like as you say growth means the production of good things as well as bad. I mean Daly would say that GDP is like not um, very loosely connected to welfare. Um, I think Shara Chen- Chara Lele also makes that case. He mm-hmm. argues for like a much more, a much more multi-dimensional, rich idea of what constitutes human welfare. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I guess one of the great things about degrowth is 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 prompting that conversation, but also the other kinds of big structural transformations that would be required to degrow in a kind of equitable, humane way, so like decommodifying things.
2: Most of the I think the the admirable and the best degrowth literature assumes that any kind of deliberate shrinking of the economy is accompanied by a a program that um, softens the blow to people in wealthy countries and maybe turns it into, you know, turns the blow into a caress. Uh, That probably sounds a little, (laughs) little, that's going a little too far. But um, um what degrowth under capitalist term, kind of unreconstructed capitalist terms is is simply depression right mm-hmm. it's it's people out of work it's people very anxious about being able to pay their bills and since this is the way that um reduced overall output is handled generally speaking in capitalist economies rather than everyone doing less work it's many people continuing to do just as much if not more work than before and other people being unemployed and having no work to do at all so it's it seems very clear that Degrowth is both practically and ideologically a non-starter without other very substantial reforms of um, the society and the economy to the point that you may no longer be living in a capitalist society at all. At least you'd be living in one that was uh, very radically changed. I think conceptually, there's not a problem of um, retaining. Uh, Capitalist degrowth... seems like or a market a marketized degrowth seems conceptually conceivable whether it's practically imaginable or not as a as a is another phenomenon
0: the final text is tom Meany's great piece on the inflation reduction act hailed as like the historic climate legislation passed in the us in august 2022.
2: Many left commentators acknowledge this is a significant piece of climate legislation, even it's far short of any hopes and ambitions we would have. Nonetheless, that this does show the kind of capitalist ruling class taking seriously the problem, um, or or a sector of it anyway, taking seriously the problem of this sort of onrushing uh, climate disaster. Um, I think something you and I have talked about and that Tom's piece uh, really brings out is the sort of question of what counts as as realism. Mm. And it's easy at moments to read this collection and think uh, the, the proponents of a Green New Deal and then a quite watered down Green New Deal, they are the realistic ones because it looks like um, the goals are ex- modest enough and there are existing political actors namely those already possessing power or at least uh, credibly aspiring toward it basically center-left forces here and there there's somebody who might who might bring about the, this program but i think what the um uh, the sort of degrowth uh, side of the argument might well say and i'm sort of sympathetic to is, to that position is that realism is going to change rather rapidly as reality changes rather rapidly and we see that there's this yeah this kind of um all of these sort of accelerating climate deadlines this kind of concatenation of disasters such that you know this sort of terrible hurricane in in houston that i ref, uh and over houston um that i refer to in my introduction to the daily piece this is now forgotten in like mm-hmm. the american annals it's like it might as well be a school shooting who remembers any of them you know it's like we have sh- school shootings every other every other week and we have these like great big climate disasters every month and I think um, as we begin to live in a world in which for it becomes harder and harder for anyone to look around the world and think um, climate change may be a problem but it's for other places and for different people younger people people not yet born as it becomes harder and harder to say that I think um, the the criteria for political realism will probably change perhaps in quite terrible ways. Right. I mean, this is like, you know, th- these, these changes don't automatically mean like uh, the creation of a constituency for sort of international eco-socialism. I think um, we, it's easy enough to see the, possibility of the rise and even uh, some sort of glimmerings of already the rise of a kind of eco-fascism in which people's response to um, accelerating crisis is to even more jealously attempt to defend uh, whatever uh, more or less climate peace and you know economic prosperity they believe themselves to possess right now.
0: The the problem of power remains like a really um, tenacious one that I guess no one on the left kind of like has resolved in this book representing this book the conviction of like power about how to 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 yeah decarbonize in a, in a socialist way as we've seen with the pandemic being one example of like a kind of unforeseen by most ex- exogenous shock not unrelated to climate change obviously and that opens up lots of political opportunities but without programs being adumbrated then you can't take advantage of these moments i mean
2: I, I wish i could quote the line exactly but somewhere in minimum Moralia*, adorno says something like you know it is not only dialectical theory but also the its absence that seizes the proletariat as a motivating force you know he's like the absence of dialectical theory that also motivates people you know so i i do think i mean it's marxism has never been certain right since um since uh, the german ideology to what extent you know we know that uh, ideas themselves don't shape history but we also know i think that they have some role um and uh, the size of that role is not it's not it's not clear but it seems that um as you, you, you as you see in the, the the book and as you bring out in your sort of the piece that's of yours that's like right at the center of the book um growth has not just been an economic phenomenon but an ideological phenomenon and um and a premise of um virtually our whole uh political lives right that everybody sort of took it for granted whatever their politics were that 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 growth was necessary so it's clear that like this this idea not just the, the kind of brute reality of growth but the ideology uh that is growth um has been quite fundamental and so i think it, it is right. It is quite important what ideas people have in their heads and whether they perceive them to be incompatible with socialism, whether they perceive them to be compatible or incompatible with the labor movement, whether they perceive them to be, um, uh, you know, th- these various programs, whether growth or simple decarbonization or so, compatible with uh, market economy, with co- capitalism. Um, um, and I think for, for many years... I, th- I think uh, it seemed like ecological po- politics sort of existed in a kind of separate and minor mm-hmm. department of the left. Mm-hmm. I think it's no longer possible to feel that you know that one can't just say, "Sure, I'm glad that the environmentalists are are looking after these things," or "I hope they begin to look after them better." I think it it looks like right now ecological politics will be a feature of politics to core. Uh, you know, politics politics in the most basic sense of the term. Um, you know, uh, for the rest of this um, century and beyond.
0: Mm. Um,
2: There are a pair of interviews in the book. The first one we've already talked about is with Herman Daly. And the other one is with Zion Lights, who at the time was a a spokesperson for uh, Extinction Rebellion. Who was engaged? I mean, you you know better than I do. Being um, uh, an Englishwoman, um, uh, you know, <laughs> in, engaged in these like uh, quite dramatic street demonstrations that, or sort of street theater, throwing uh, tomato soup cans on works of art and so forth.
0: The consciousness raising of 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 not just XR, but like the the Friday strikes, like um, of the of like the amazing social movements, especially kind of between 2018 and 2020, have been incredibly valuable. I do think like consciousness has now kind of been raised to like to a point and that like now we're left with the balance of power and like the focus of like left strategizing and reflection, I suppose, it's about because and, and I suppose not just in terms of like how we assess, for example, um, like the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, like it's kind of a handout to private enterprise, um, obviously like mainly in the form of tax credits and it's a lot of it's going to like um, electric vehicles rather than expanding like public transit and so on Um, but also in terms of um, basically how these pieces of legislation um, consolidate coalitions and build and create like and, and change the balance of forces in such a way that there's there's ways to build upon them
2: it's obviously on more minimal rather than maximal demands that one can imagine the left coming together right that is to say immediate decarbonization is something that probably everybody who contributes this book would agree to and many people on the left they wouldn't agree about um you know sort of dietary politics, whether there should be mandatory veganism or whether you know the 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 you know the price of meat should just have sort of externalities factored in, so you most people are going to be a vegan anyway because it will cost like you know eighty five dollars to eat a hamburger from time to time. Those are questions I think that you know where we're naturally not going to have so much consensus, and it seems like where there is consensus um we need to strike fast and strike hard. And, um, but I think, um, as you say in what is nearly the last line of the book, Mere de- de- decarbonization um, is not an adequate political program. N- none of us want to live in a world in which we think, all right, like um, now it looks like the ecological basis of civilization is has been preserved, and it's just like as mean and nasty and brutish a civilization as you could possibly imagine. <laughs> but it's stable. It's been stabilized.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. One thing we say in the book, as well as I think, sometimes the differences between like degrowth and growth. Philosophies can be overstated and actually are not necessarily incompatible and converge in various ways and that you don't want to Although you do want to unpick all the differences and as, as a kind of important reflective exercise You don't want to overstate them as like, you know, we're radically incompatible views But I do see differences in sensibility, I guess related to I suppose like um, I guess it to a sort of caricature, but like a, a kind of a, a Green New Deal like um, viewpoint is like mean to build, 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 like build new infrastructure, like um, build the world anew, like, and and certain kind of degrowth um, advocate is emphasizes limits and about like accommodating ourselves to, to like um, a kind of imperfect and limited world. And I think sometimes I do think those, that kind of sensibility difference does present problems for like cohering, um, like a movement, as you were saying, that decarbonization is not like. A sexy political program <laughs> like you need to um actually connect with people in their like material concrete life like like and that's you know like thinking talking about like food and housing and like shelter like, you know but not in terms of just like greening it but in terms of like decommodifying it making it accessible and stuff and, and making people feel more feel more secure um, and that's a kind of that's a, seems like a pretty universal idea on the left and w- that you need to be in effect in some way soldering this like problem of based on like energy supply to a much um more and this is actually in the Mike Davis piece too in the, but a much more capacious vision of like of human progress basically, um to have any chance. There are like obviously all kinds of like reactionary ideologies to which like decarbonisation can be soldered as it were. Um and I suppose like you know like competition with China as like and like nationalistic um, Quite dangerous nationalistic kinds of like um, ideas can be instrumentalized to build Support for things like decarbonizing the US economy in this case in, in a way
2: It's it's a it's a nice thing to be able to wonder a little bit about whether um, decarbonization uh will be and already is like a kind of feature of inter-imperial rivalry um uh, i think you know the chips act of biden is a much more aggressive piece of economic warfare than is um and so are these sort of sanction regimes that are done all the time against various like uh, enemies of nato and the united states you know these are the much more aggressive uh, acts of economic warfare than are you know the subsidization of um, battery plants um you know, which certainly aren't exactly like neoliberal, but you know, it's like I mean, there's never been any kind of free market, of course, in um, you know, agriculture, um, since you know, capitalism exists or not at least since the middle of the 19th century. So, it's, 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 I think it could be overstated to what extent, um, um, the IRA in the American sense of the Inflation Reduction Act has been, um, has become a sort of feature of, um, of, uh, you know. Uh, Sino-American competition, um, I think it, you know, it, it, it's, it's that conflict um, or, you know, which it, you know, potentially quite, you know, sort of deadly consequences that we need to sort of worry about uh, more directly. And I, I suppose I find it like a modestly hopeful sign that we can even have the problem of you know, China and the United States competing about whether who can produce um, solar panels fastest, cheapest, and for more and more people in the world. Um, th- there are obviously better ways to go, go about doing this. But um, and one, but one of the reasons it's good to have this debate on the left is so that, like, you know, certain decarbonization doesn't become the sort of property of the sort of bien-pensant, like, ruling classes who would be, you know, quite happy, perhaps, if they do any decarbonization at all, to do it on route to sort of, you know. Um, like global war,
0: mm. I guess actually one. I just reminded me one thing we probably haven't emphasized enough is um, that the kind of part of the range of the collection is is also questioning, which has actually recently I would say become almost beyond question somehow. But questioning the carbon centrism, carbon centrism of of like climate debate, like it's because of the like. I think uh Sha Tran- especially is like his essay is um is good at is good at saying, um, especially in like the global south and stuff, like there are all sorts of other like way more pressing environmental issues like water stress and so on. Or and like um and in general, um I guess Troy Troy brings this up I think in his mm-hmm. essay too, like that um you know, yeah, like we're just to talking about we, we've as we've been just talking about like just the it's obviously true that like to like weaning ourselves off fossil fuels and and um scaling up clean energy is like the most important thing yes. for climate change um given like the amount that fossil fuels account for, for for carbon emissions but but there are all sorts of other like um yeah like you know ocean acidification and yes. like so on and ecosystem and this, this is all part this is a kind of another line in in the series i would say is like thinking in a more holistic sense about um the planet not just as like in this like very um i guess carbon-centric also anthropocentric way about right. about yeah that which is yeah obviously does has become dominant but
2: yeah and I, I think um something that tom's piece uh towards the end of the tom Meany's piece towards the end of the collection brings out quite explicitly but that's implicit in a lot of the other pieces is the time the time scales the time frames appropriate to given policies i think a certain type of kind of carbon centrism can be defended on the grounds of urgency. That's to say, you know, if your leg is just has just been broken, you're like naturally naturally like you know, uh, sort of osteocentric, right? You're like, I'm very <laughs> interested in the health of my bones. Once your leg is set and adequately healed and you can walk again, you might you know you, you you'll quickly remember that there you know whether your bones are broken or not is not the only aspect of of your health, and I think um you know perhaps this sounds sort of Pollyannish and like to uh, to resolve these problems too easily but i i find like um the sort of narrower politics of a kind of you know social democratic green new deal quite a- a- appealing on the time scale of 5 10 years we may well blow past those timelines we or those deadlines we probably we probably will mm-hmm. um but i also find like you know degrowth which doesn't just pay attention to um to, uh, you know, carbon, as you say, but to um, uh, the depletion of aquifers and so forth, to biodiversity, to ocean acidification, um, I find that more appealing and very urgent, just slightly, slightly less so. And, you know, insofar as there's sort of any harmony of, like, views to be found in, like, uh, or derived from a collection like this, I think it would have to do with um, the time frame that necessitates a given politics, because it's very clear that one wouldn't want to think all we need to worry about over the next ten uh, you know hundred or thousand years is that there's not too much carbon in the atmosphere, um, but at the same time it seems quite um, it, 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 it's rational to think this is what I'm most worried about right now um, and probably what I'll remain most worried about for at least some some years. Um, I mean that's probably to suggest resolving these questions sort of too easily, but I think um, the you know the the compatibility of these are uh, these um, these different ideas is not so much sort of in one moment of thought, but at different moments of of history.
0: Ben wrote a beautiful preface to the collection, and I contributed an afterword, kind of reflecting on on um, well the things we've been talking about really, but trying to. Um, Think about the key the key points of contention and and um, how things changed over the series and and out and in the wider world. Um, but um, but yeah, I guess I end on on the note that um, I guess it's kind of what we were just talking about before about um, decarbonisation being um, becoming has become like a very dominant um, political objective, but it's like not not like a um, you know, mere survival is like quite a low bar for like our political um, aims, I suppose, and our aspirations for human life. Um, so yeah, I guess I just, um, I guess I end the note on, on, uh, end the book, sorry, on on the note of thinking about um, envisioning what we want to envisage beyond, um, I guess, a carbon transition. I think sometimes like the jargon of climate politics um, or of official climate politics anyway can be Um, Quite sort of like binary like it's like, you know, there's there's like the transition. There's like the net zero There's like this deadline if we miss that deadline then that you know And actually obviously like we live in like the world is gonna kind of well we hope um, go on and that like um, It's sort of like not not what comes after it's kind of I guess yeah, what comes after post-carbon in a sense like um, and I just suppose like I just sometimes think it's important especially maybe reconfiguring ourselves after um some successes in the form of like climate legislation and hopefully those will only accrue over the next coming years. Um, to think not so much about like, um, we either fail or succeed or we and we either avert climate change or not, but to think of a kind of ongoing process of shaping the world in not only ways that tilt towards clean energy, but that like tilt towards labour away from capital and like meeting the ordinary needs. Um and sorry ordinary human needs and um and i guess about the importance of of like of kind of vigorous and like vibrant intellectual left in mm-hmm. in um animating that struggle to shape the world basically with with like ideas that are not only compelling but that really engage with each other basically which i guess yes. is like i would describe the ethos of the book as about that i think that. so, I think yeah.
2: so. I think one of the things we wanted to sort of or we needed to think about in writing this book is to what extent it sort of caps a debate and to what extent it actually hopefully is part of almost like the a kind of prehistory of a like thoroughly ecological left of of the future, because I think, you know, this sort of society beyond the transition that you're talking about, I hope will be one that is not if it ever comes to pass, not beyond sort of revelation that the environment the biosphere whatever you like to call it is the context of all of our politics and there was a sort of terrible forgetting of this for for a long time solving if we ever do the sort of carbon problem will not mean an end to sort of ecological politics but i hope i hope one of the things that's going on in a book like this is sort of the understanding that there's an ecological to dimension to politics um you know in the simplest sense. The most basic sense uh, of the term and that we can't just um, sort of set this set that aside neither kind of practically nor intellectually
1: thank you for listening to the verso podcast if you've enjoyed this episode or if you're enjoying the podcast in general i'd love it if you could let the algorithm know by giving us a nice rating or a review it really makes the world of difference You can find a film version of this discussion on the Verso Books YouTube page and the book Who Will Build the Ark is out now and available wherever good books are sold. We'll be back again with you soon with more bonus content. Bye for now.